All right, good to have you here tonight, and I'd like you to take your Bibles. If you have one, let's turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start here tonight with these few verses, and then we'll be going to the Old Testament, uh, beginning here in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, and uh, verse number 7, we see some graces or characters, characteristics a child of God should seek to add to their life. And so I want to consider some thoughts on character once again here tonight. We've talked about character counts on Sunday night, and I want to consider here tonight uh, someone with indeed some very noble and uh, high-quality character. But uh, before we do, let's go ahead and read Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse number 5 to verse number 7. It says, And besides this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should not be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see some character qualities that we should add to our faith. Add your faith, virtue, and on and on it goes. But I want to consider someone with character here tonight. And again, we'll just be considering one man here tonight, one young man, a fine young man, uh, back in the Old Testament. Let's turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, actually, 1 Samuel chapter 13, not 3. 1 Samuel chapter 13. As far as fine young men in the Bible are concerned, I would venture to say that Jonathan is amongst the most noble characters in the Bible. His ability to discern what's right and wrong and to be spiritual in matters makes him a great example, I believe, for each and every one of us to follow. Though he's a man, many of the qualities he has are many that we should seek to follow after. What graces he had as a child of God can certainly be seen in his faith and his actions. But uh, let's pick up here in 1 Samuel chapter 13. I want to read through the first eight verses here as we consider some thoughts on Jonathan's character. First Samuel chapter 13, verse number one, it says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years in Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, wherewith 2,000 were with Saul and Mishmash in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his own tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And in Israel heard, uh, heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also had a was had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were all called together after Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude, and they came up and pitched at Mishmach, eastward of Bethaven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, and the people did hide themselves in caves, and in thickets, and in rocks, and in high places, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, 
And all the people followed him, trembling. I want to consider here some tonight some thoughts on, again, some character qualities in Jonathan. But again, I wanted to consider here looking at character uh, concerning the qualities of character we can have as fine young men or as people in general. And uh, But let's pray here as we consider this thought. Father, thank you again for today. Thank you again for this time we can meet. I pray that you would help me to be able to convey uh, to these folks, again, the character really of Christ, the character that Jonathan showed in life was much like that of Christ. Though he's not Christ, he certainly was a man that was much after the nature of Christ and how we act in life, how we spoke in life, and his overall demeanor in life. Help us by your grace to consider him and his life here tonight. Again, we pray these things in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Now, I think it's uh, going to be quite a chore trying to uh, consider the whole life of Jonathan, but I'm going to try to consider in little pieces, if you would. Again, Jonathan here in the Bible is a son of Saul, who was king. And then we see him in a position early in, again, the reign of Saul, placed in the position of being right alongside his father, being the head of part of a small army that they had. And it mentions there in verse number two, it says, And Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, wherewith 2,000 were with Saul at Mishmash in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah Benjamin, and the rest of the people, he sent every man to his tent. I just want to say here, you don't put someone in charge normally of anything unless they're able type of person to oversee some kind of uh, work or army as is in this case and so as i consider the life of jonathan i see him as a responsible young man a responsible young man a thousand men were with jonathan two thousand men with his father he certainly had been trained again certainly to lead an army he certainly been position of leadership to some degree and maybe he had this position because he was prince and certainly would be groomed in to be the new king in time. But we see him as a responsible person. Jonathan is put in a position of responsibility. And uh, some would argue maybe he wasn't as responsible as he should have been. Again, when dealing with the enemy. But nonetheless, I believe he was against someone who was faithful as a general way of life. Now, that's the first character quality you want to consider about Jonathan. He was a responsible young person. Let's turn to Luke in the New Testament. You'll find again whether someone is responsible in a very little, which might just be their toys to begin with, or something maybe small, like maybe their siblings to watch over, or parts of responsibility, maybe when it comes to chores or whatever it might be. Uh, people are given responsibil responsibilities in life, and you'll find again, if someone is responsible in little things, they will also many times be also responsible in bigger things. And so we see this in the Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 16 and verse number 10, Jesus says here, He that is faithful and that which is least is faithful also in that is much. And he that is unjust and the least is also unjust in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit you the trust to true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who also should give you that to which is not 
your own. But again, I see what Jonathan him given responsibility, and I see him take up this responsibility. I see him put in a place of leadership, and again, he does well in that place of leadership. Now, some might argue with that. In fact, if you turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 3, it is Jonathan that takes on the Philistines. It isn't his father here, but Jonathan himself takes on the Philistines, and we don't know the size of the skirmish. We don't know how many were killed. We don't know exactly how the battle went, but it says there in 1 Samuel chapter 13, it says, And Solomon smote the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land of land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And so we find in the Bible, Jonathan goes to battle. God, Jonathan goes to war. He's put in a position of being, again, a, a person in an army, and he has enemies, and he decides again to fight with them. And the Bible says he smites a garrison of the Philistines. Now, we don't know how big that was or anything about it, but uh, we know it was enough that it was something that stirred up the enemy, so the enemy hated them, so that the people looked at the Israelites as an abomination before God. But again, as you read on further there, in verse number five, it tells us about the differences in the size of their armies, the Philistine army and the Israelite army. Keep in mind, the army of the Israelites is 3,000. It goes on in verse number five, it says, the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 36,000 chariots and 600 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in number and they came up and pitched at Mishmash, eastward of Beth Haven. Now, we don't know how large this army host is, but we do see the number given of 30,000 chariots. That's a huge amount of chariots. It's one of the largest amounts of chariots probably that you'll find there in the Bible. And that's the Philistines having 30,000 chariots. And it mentions them having 6,000 horsemen. And then it goes on and says, And the people as the sand of the sea, shore in multitude. So there's a huge host against 3,000. Even just looking at those numbers, 3,000 and 36,000, that's quite an advantage. I mean, just think about that, 1 to 12. But it's not 1 to 12. It's 1 to a larger multitude than that. And so we see in the Bible, again, God's people outnumbered. Now, what do the God's people do? Well, it says there in verse number six, it says, and the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and thickets and rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Now, imagine being in a strait like that. Now, someone says, well, why are they scared? <laughs> there's a huge host of enemies, and there's only a small host of them. They're numbered, and so fear falls upon these people. Fear falls upon Saul, and again, I believe uh, this fear led to Saul making a huge mistake, and again, we know about that mistake. Most of us do, but let's read on. Verse number eight 
It says, and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. It says in verse number nine, Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And so we see in the Bible some things about Jonathan. He was a responsible young man. I believe, secondly, he was a brave and courageous young man. He took on the garrison of the Philistines and slew them there at Geba. Again, the armies, his army and Saul's army get together. The Philistine army gets together. They both are, again, in a place, a roundabout. And, and because all this happens, Saul, is the new king there, does foolishly and, again, sacrifice to God. He doesn't wait as he was told to wait. And again, I'm not going to go back into uh, his disobedience there, but let's pick up on verse number 15. We'll look at Jonathan here. Saul sacrifices to God foolishly. Samuel confronts him for his foolishness. And then it goes on in verse number 15. I want to read on there. It says, And Samuel rose and got him to Gilgal unto Gibbon of uh, a Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 and Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people that were present with him abode at Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped at Mishmash. Now, you say, what happened? I thought he had 3,000 men. Uh, the Bible says he has now 600 men. He has only 600 men now. Again, the Bible mentions back there in verse number uh, 8, it says, and he tarried, well, it's actually verse number 7, as some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Some fled. Some probably were still hiding in the rocks, the thickets, and the caves, and the pits, whatever it might be. And so Saul has 600 men with him. Among those men is still Jonathan. He's certainly a man of courage. He's not one of those that deserted them. 2,400, it seems, fled. Five-sixths of a very small army fled. The Philistine army is the same size. Nothing's changed here. And I want you to read, I want to read on here to look at this small army, what it had. What were the armaments that they had? Did they have chariots? Did they have horses? Well, look at verse number 19. It says, Now there were no smith found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords and spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter, and his axe, and his maddox. Yet they had a, a file for the maddox, and for the coulters, and for the forks, and for the axes, and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that they were neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were Saul or Jonathan, but Saul, and with Jonathan his son, was there found. So look at that. Look at the armament that they have. You say, what do they have? Well, you have two leaders that have swords. The rest of them have makeshift, again, weapons of warfare that are just been sharpened again there to fight in a fight. And so you find there only Saul and Jonathan have swords. And we see the odds are certainly against the two men with swords and 598 men with modified weapons of war against chariots and horsemen and people without number. 
we move on to the next chapter. In chapter 14, verse number 1, we see in the life of Jonathan, faith. Faith and trust in God that is certainly something admirable. Again, as we think of character qualities, we'll see his great faith. This man by the name of Jonathan, as he again is in a position of, again, uh, of fighting against the Philistine army. It says in, not, in verse 1, Now it came to pass upon the day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistine garrison that it is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeon under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. About 600 because you have two less. And Ahiah, the son of Athah, Ichabod's brother, the brother of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistine garrisons, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was uh, Bozaz and the name of the other was Sinai. And uh, the forefront of one was situated northward over against Mishmash and the others uh, southward against Gibeah. And Jonathan said unto the young man that bear his armor, come and let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will fight, will work with us, for there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor said unto him, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. And if they say unto us, Tarry until we come to you, they will stand still in our place. And we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor, Come up after me. The Lord hath delivered them into my hand. Uh, so the, the, uh, the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. And that, and that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen would plow. But I just want you to introduce you to, again, Jonathan, a faith-filled fighter. A faith-filled fighter. Not a man who really thought that he, in his own power, could, again, destroy the enemy or fight and, and go against this great host, this enemy. But you see Jonathan go against these Philistines and his armor bearer come after him. And I want to say this about that armor bearer. He certainly was a man of faith, too. I mean, to go to fight with these men, to climb between these rocks, to go to where the enemy was, to uh, be called to fight against them to follow after uh, Jonathan here in, his bat in this battle. Keep in mind, I believe, again, he doesn't have a sword. He certainly has a shield if he's an armor bearer, but he doesn't necessarily even have a sword. 
to fight with. And yet it says in verse number 13, when they went to battle together, they say they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And so his armor bearer also killed some of these Philistines, about 20 of them. We see Jonathan as a faith-filled, fighting young man. His faith in God, his trust in God, and uh, again, he, he says this in several places. It says in verse number uh, six, the Lord will work for us. The Lord will work for us. And uh, he says in verse number 12, it says, come up after me for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And so outnumbered and again in a position again as Again, one over a thousand or so people, now certainly not even over those thousand people, but over about 600 people. He and his father again to gather over these 600 men, again, who certainly were courageous in part. He goes to battle with this, again, armor bearer of his, and they kill 20 of the Philistines. And it calls, talks about in verse number 14, it's the first slaughter which Jonathan, his armor bearer, made. Verse number 15, it says, There was trembling in the host and in the field among the people and the garrison and the spoilers, and they also trembled. And the earthquake so that a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. And so, again, I don't know what you can say happened here, but again, the Philistines began to hurt each other and to kill each other and all those kind of things. And so God has given a deliverance here over the Philistines. Let's pick up in verse number 22. Again, I just want to kind of look at Jonathan. He was a faith-filled young man. Verse number 22, it says, Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also fought hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over Bethlehem. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be uh, the man that eateth any food until evening, that I, may be, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. And I'm not going into any details there, but you see there, God give a great deliverance because... Jonathan exercised faith. It wasn't Saul exercising faith. It was Jonathan exercising faith, and God gave them the victory. In verse number 31 of this chapter, it says here, and they smote the Philistines that day from Mishmash to Agilon, the people were very faint. And so they certainly had a great victory against the Philistines that day. It started with Jonathan's faith and the faith of his armor bearer going into battle. God came along and gave them uh, strength for battle. Again, caused the enemy to flee before them, sent an earthquake, it seems like, before them, which again caused some confusion, which led them to kill each other, as well as, again, the, the Israelites coming after them and, and killing some of them also. But uh, let's turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, we find, again, Jonathan here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, where he fits in exactly. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I, I can't say for sure, but in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you find Goliath of Gath making a, a charge that uh, some would come and fight with him and that sort of thing. And you 
fight again. Uh, David take up that challenge, and David slayed their their champion, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, let's pick up in First Samuel chapter seventeen. I want you to notice this about Jonathan. Jonathan was content as a young man. He was content to do whatever God would have him to do. He was happy here, even with uh, David coming along and uh, killing Goliath of Gath. First Samuel chapter seventeen, verse fifty. It says, "So David prevailed over the Philistines with the sling and with stones, and smote the Philistine and, and slew him." But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they came to the valley, the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell away by the way of Shamarin onto Gath and onto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine abroad of Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the captain of the host, just want to mention this, Ab Abner now must be in a position here of, of being leader of Saul's army. Uh, it doesn't seem like Saul and Jonathan are in that place now, but it says he's, he's that place. It's Abner says, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, inquire thou whose son this stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said unto him, whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, Jonathan was a faith-filled man. And here we see in the Bible also David being a faith-filled man. But you'll find as we read on in chapter 15, here, uh, sorry, chapter 18, that he will be in a position where he really knows that he is not going to be the king over Israel. And again, I don't quite understand how he knew this, but let's read about it. First Samuel chapter 18, verse number one, it says, And it came to pass when he had made an end to speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go no more home to his father's house. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because they loved him as his soul. And Jonathan stripped himself the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to the sword, to his bow, and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul went to him, and he behaved himself wisely, and Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So we see David promoted and honestly, in a sense, Jonathan was demoted. Jonathan took his robe, he took his sword, he took his girdle, he took his bow, and he gave him to David. And he didn't seem to have any problem with that. He didn't have any, um, you know, he, was, he wasn't mad about this. He wasn't sad about this. Uh, Jonathan was glad 
that David was a valiant man, a valiant young man, a faithful young man, someone who would go into battle when there was a need for someone to go into battle. So I say this about Jonathan, he was content as a young man. Again, you see him to begin with as being over part of the army and his father part of the army. And you see there in verse number uh, 55 that Abner is set as, uh, again, leader over the army. And so he lost that position probably because maybe, again, his dad didn't like what he had done and gone to war or whatever it might be. But anyway, nonetheless, he has been demoted there. And again, he's come to a place where he believes that, again, that he heard again from Samuel that someone would replace his dad. And I think he sees it right before him is Jonathan. Jonathan's going to be that one who replaces my dad as king. He was content to give him his role. Again, to give him his weapons of war. Content to be a follower with them. And uh, again, it says there, David, he was accepted in all the sight of the people and also in the sight of all his servants. He made him over the men of war. Abner got demoted. David got promoted. And Jonathan was fine with all that. Again, John the Baptist was fine with Jesus being promoted and him being demoted. And again, when it comes to, again, leadership, it doesn't matter for first, second, third, 500th, 600th, so to speak, whatever it might be. We should, again, encourage, uh, again, and be able to see and have insight like Jonathan did that, again, God can use anybody's leader and can use anybody as a follower. But again, we learn more about Jonathan and his character. I want to read a little bit more about him in 1 Samuel chapter 19. Let's turn there. Uh, Jonathan's character was, again, I believe one of the best of the Bible, one of the most noble men of, of all history. Again, as he was, again, someone, again, who would even in 1 Samuel chapter 19 here, uh, verse number 1 through verse number 7, again, be an honest young man and honest with his father and still maintain a, a relationship with his father and with David and try to, again, keep things in check there. In 1 Samuel 19, it says, And Saul spake unto Jonathan his son and to all the servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in the secret place and hide thyself. And I will go and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servants, against David, because he hath, uh, hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee very good. And he to put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest and didst rejoice. There, therefore, uh, sorry, wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to save David without cause? Let me read verse 7. I'll stop for a moment. It says, and, and Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as a times past. Again, David became a hero for a time, but he became Saul's enemy after people spoke of David 
in better terms than Saul. And so Saul wanted him put to death. And so we see here Jonathan deal with his dad and basically talk to his dad and say, hey, he's not done anything wrong. Again, he's done things right. He's been a good leader. He's been a good fighter, all those kind of things. But Saul's jealousy now was, again, something taking hold of him. Let's read on. Verse number 8, it says, And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. There's David going to war again, being a good guy, all those kind of things. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, and as he sat in the house, with a javelin to his hand, David played with his hand, and, and Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So anyways, you see in the Bible, again, some trouble with Saul and David. And David's become Saul's enemy, not because he did anything wrong, but because he was envious and jealous of David. Saul's jealousy grew to the point that he tried to kill David. Again, we're familiar with that. But yet you'll find here, if you read on here in 1 Samuel chapter 20, that uh, again, Jonathan is able seemingly to see the future. Let's pick up in verse number 11. It says, and Jonathan said, chapter 20, verse 11, Jonathan said to David, Come and let us go out in the field. And they went out, both of them, into the field. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I had sounded my father about tomorrow any time or the third day, and behold, if they had, there were be good toward David, and I then send not unto thee and show it to thee, and the Lord do so much more to Jonathan, but if it please my father to do evil to thee, then I will show it to thee and send thee away, that it may be a, that they may go peace, and the Lord be with thee. And he had been with his father, and thou shalt not only, uh, and thou shalt not only while yet I live show the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also that thou uh, shall not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one to the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him as he loved his own soul. And again, anyways, I, you see here in the Bible covenant made between Jonathan and David and in this covenant, you see that they're going to be in a place of showing kindness one to another. Not only their heritage, but the heritage to follow. Again, if you pick up in chapter 20 here, just the last few verses of the chapter, it says in verse number 33, it says, And Saul cast a javelin to smite him, wherewith Jonathan knew that he was determined of his father to slay David. And Jonathan rose from the table in a fierce anger and did eat no bread the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Anyways, you find again there in the Bible that Jonathan is a place where his father despises him, even tries to kill him, but he maintains, I believe, his integrity through all this. Again, I'm not going to read through again the next portion, but let's pick up and just read verse 42. It says, And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn, both of us, 
in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into his city. So he's an honest young man. He again made a covenant with David. David again reiterates his covenant here. And again, you'll find him in a position of being a really good character kind of a person. I'm going to skip a few chapters here. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 23. I don't want to extend this message too long. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse number 14. Let's pick up here. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds. And so now he's a fugitive. And remained in the mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God delivered him out of his hand. And David saw the Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wood and strengthened his hand in God and said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. Again, this is amazing here in the Bible. Jonathan says, you know, one day you're going to be king. And I'm going to be by your side one day. And Saul knows this. But I, I've mentioned this before on, on Saul being, I'm sorry, Jonathan being a friend. It says, and he strengthened his hand in God. Again, I think of the character of Jonathan, he is a model kind of friend and encourager. Jonathan straddled the fence, so to speak, of trying to be a friend to his father and a friend to David who was going to be the new king. And again, when it comes to, again, character, we need to be in a position where we seek to, as friends, encourage one another. And so we see him as an encourager. And then finally, I'd like us to turn to the last chapter here of 1 Samuel chapter 31. And we find out Jonathan comes to his end. Again, it's sad to see him come to an end because he was such a good man. Jonathan was a young man who certainly, again, would have allied himself with David, been alongside David's side as a new king. But we find out here in 1 Samuel chapter 31 that, Dave, that, that Jonathan uh, dies in battle. Notice here in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse number 1 and 2, it says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain in Mount Gibeah. And the Philistines fought hard after Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melshua, Saul's son. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. And so, again, I'm not going to read through what happened, all the details here, but you find in the Bible Jonathan dies in battle. His father dies in battle. Two of his other brothers die in battle. And uh, Jonathan dies in a position where, again, I think all of us should seek to be is being faithful to the Lord, seeking to do the Lord's will, fighting the Philistines, if you would. He's in a position where he ends his race, so to speak, in a place of still in the service of the king. Again, sad to see, but yet it says here, I'd like to read just about Saul and Jonathan as David speaks about them in the next chapter, 2 Samuel Chapter 1, let's pick up in verse number 17, it says, And David lamented with the lamentations over Saul and over Jonathan, his son, and bade them teach the children of Judah to use the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jazer. 
And the beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Eshkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gibeah, let them be no dew, neither rain upon them, nor fields of offering, for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, and the shield of Saul, as though it had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back. The sword of Saul returned not empty. They didn't die, just die without fighting. Saul and Jonathan were pleasant and lovely, sorry, lovely and pleasant in their lives and in their death. They were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with scarlet, with other lights, who put the ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle, O Jonathan, that was slain in thine high places? I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen, and the weapons of war perished? Can you see Jonathan die, but you see again David speak of his life and speak of Saul and speaks of them also dying in battle. Can we see some things about Jonathan that make him someone that we should seek after as far as virtue or character? He was responsible. He was brave. He was faith-filled. He was content to do whatever God would have him to do. He was honest. He was an encourager as a friend. And he was faithful and loyal unto death. Again, I believe he's a good example of what a fine young man should strive to be or a fine young lady in many ways. Let me encourage you to be like unto him in character. Let's close and consider the word of God here tonight.